Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson back at you with Heather Shoemaker. And Heather Shoemaker, Anthony is still virtually in the virtual imaginary studio with us. And we're going to talk the art of roughhousing. Yes, Anthony DeBenedict is the author, co-author actually, of The Art of Roughhousing. Um, And this is one of my favorite topics in the world, rough and tumble play, roughhousing between kids, roughhousing with adults and kids, just all different kinds of combinations. So welcome, and um, this book has been out for a little while, but I'm sure it's still very close to your heart, and I know that a lot of people who care for young kids are a little squeamish when it comes to this topic. So um, <laughs> can you give us a little introduction to why you love roughhousing so much? I sure can, Heather. Thanks again for having me. I So when I was a young, young dad, I was coming home at night after working, and my young two-year-old daughter, Ava, would basically greet me at the door and start crying and screaming and then run away. <laughs> And I was just having, I was having the hardest time connecting with her. Now, um, in hindsight, she was basically going through a um, parent-only stage, and often it's and my wife Anna was there with her at home, and so everything was mommy-only. Yep. So if I were to try to integrate into any part of her life, she would basically escalate into a full-scale meltdown. One night, I after dinner, I was uh, I decided to just try something different, totally randomly. I said, "Ava, would you mind uh, jumping on my back?" She's like three at this point. Jumping on my back and join me in the world of flying machines. And she looked at me, kind of puzzled, but I kind of knelt down and she jumped on my back. And I actually didn't really know what I was going to do. And I got to the foot of our stairs leading up to our bedrooms. And uh, I basically started counting down 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. And then I all of a sudden just blasted off as a as a rocket ship would, would blast off, making all these crazy noises. And I kind of got her up to her bed, and I thought I might be able to integrate into the bedtime routine. And then at that moment, she said, Mommy only, or some, you know, I, she said, Mommy, please. And meaning that she wanted mom to do her nighttime. And I kind of was, I walked out of the room and I felt kind of defeated. I mean, it was kind of the final straw. I felt defeated. And then she said, but daddy, let's do that again tomorrow night. (laughs) Redemption. Redemption. And so then I thought, wow, that worked. I did it the next night and the night after that. And kind of slowly with this kind of more physical contact is kind of how I started thinking about it. Um, kind of started to build a connection with Ava. And that's really what led me into into kind of the rough and tumble research and play um, and kind of writing the book about the benefits 
really for parent-child connection uh, of roughhousing or rough-and-tumble play. Right. Now, your book, if people haven't picked up this book, it's a little kind of handbook, and it has all kinds of diagrams of neat ways to roughhouse with your kids um, with great illustrations. But my favorite part of the book is the introduction, the um, the whole intro that gives the science behind uh-huh. The fun giggles of roughhousing. I mean, you—it's called our bold claim for roughhousing, and you have things right. like it builds emotional intelligence. It makes your kids more likable, makes them more ethical and moral and physically fit, and all these, you know. And we I went agree really with all big. of it. It is, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's true. And so, yeah. can you dive into one of the things that you feel sure. like that—that that just is so fantastic about roughhousing? Sure. And, you know, it, it, we did make that bold claim. We, my author, Larry Cohen, and also in many ways a mentor for me when it comes to thinking psychologically about play. Uh, he, you know, we, you know, the research is really interesting because most of the research on these kinds of benefits and the science behind roughhousing were done with animals um, in the 1970s and mostly rhesus monkeys, in fact. And what's fascinating when we started digging into things is that there really is a huge kind of bang for your buck with this kind of play in terms of child development. And there's three, there's kind of three big areas of benefit. One is intelligence. Um, two is kind of creativity. And, and three is parent-child connection. My favorite an intelligence one can kind of be broken down into three different kinds of intelligences, but without getting too nuanced. I, my favorite is the emotional intelligence piece uh, and how roughhousing helps that. And what's interesting is that when you think about emotional intelligence as even adults or parents, you know, it really comes down to two things. It's one, understanding your own emotions. So kind of having a self-awareness of when you're feeling angry or irritable or whatever. And then two, and this is where it gets a little bit kind of sixth sensey, uh, being able to sense the emotions of others. So can you tell by sitting next to somebody um, how their day's been? And roughhousing's really great with both of those things, um, mainly because healthy roughhousing will follow a natural arc. So there's essentially a rev up period where often boys can get revved up very quickly. Girls can get revved up just as as intense, but sometimes they take a little slower time to get revved up to peak intensity. And then that natural arc is a wind down period. Whoa, sorry. I don't so, know what's... We're Oops. revving keep, up. Keep talking. <laughs> okay. So, so the... Yeah, oh, so the... That, and that, 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 that be natural there. arc of roughhousing, when you rev up to peak intensity and then when you wind down, is... Um, is helping kids um, feel that emotional arc, um, you know, feel what their emotions feel like when they're at peak intensity and when they wind down, what their emotions feel like at that point too, in a safe kind of environment. And that's what we want for the first part of emotional intelligence. We want kids to be able to understand and adults to be able to understand their own emotions. And we also want them to be like a dimmer switch, right? We do, you know, we don't want on and off switches for emotions as adults or as kids. And as, as kids, that's when we need, you know, that's when we can learn how to create that dimmer switch in our emotions and understand them. The second part to emotional intelligence, the notion of being able to sense what other people are feeling. Well, roughhousing is a lot of nonverbal 
uh, interaction, it's physical play, it's body language. And so as you, as a kid, as you kind of start sensing, oh, mom and dad don't feel good about that rolling upside down and standing on their head on the wall or whatever it is, um, or, oh boy, I sense that, you know, um, mom and dad really, really enjoy this. Um, they start translating that. They actually can start translating that to understanding what other people's emotions are in the, in the outside the home, in the, in the real world. Right. And if you're roughhousing, you know, with a child and you're a bigger person, um, uh, needing to have your radar up too to make sure you're reading the signs, is is she still having fun? You know, is this, am I, am I uh, pushing too hard or is this, is this kind of back and forth? There's a lot of awareness between partners because roughhousing, you are partners in the play. You, if one person's having exactly. fun, it's, it's not, it's not a game. You got to have at least two people or maybe it's a pig <laughs> pile and there's a lot of people on top of you, but everybody in the pile has to be having fun. And so there's a lot of, um, instantaneous checking in that we do with body language and listening to the tone of laughter. And I think as adults, it's important when we hear that hysterical type laughter, let's yes. say if someone's tickling, that that might mean, hey, stop, I'm out of control right. and I, I don't want this anymore, even though, hey, he's laughing, so he must be enjoying himself. So there's a, there's a lot of nuances, even things that adults may not pay attention to enough that we need to be highly aware of um, when, when we're in this kind of physical partner play. You're totally right, Heather. And we, in the workshops that I do, tickling, the, the example you mentioned is we, we really strongly encourage no tickling um, with one exception. And the, the exception is if you feel like your child is in kind of a rut um, and then there's, there's some benefit to kind of a vigorous snuggle. <laughs> you know, you can kind of sweep your child up in your arms and kind of, there might be a little bit of a tickle, but nothing like the tickle that feels powerful that, you know, you hear about, oh, my uncle tickled me until I wet my pants, you know, when I was a kid or whatever, <laughs> you know, nothing like that, because that is, that is not what you want. And it actually goes against really, you know, when you think about it, what is the most important thing that boys need before they leave the home, and that is to know that physical contact, there's more to physical contact than sex and violence, you know? That's, that's the most important thing a boy can learn, I think, when they leave the house. Um, and then, and the, you know, similar way for a girl, for girls, you know, the most important thing to learn when they leave the house is that your voice is the strongest voice in the world. You know, there is nothing more powerful than a woman's voice. And roughhousing is great for that for learning those kinds of things, you know, being able to have physical contact that's not violence, that's not sexual and being able to say, you know, use your voice and say, Hey, Whoa, that doesn't feel too good. That, you know, I wasn't, I was uncertain about that. And one of the things we do in some of the workshops is, is to always have a code word. Uh, and it's gotta be a silly code word. It was banana cream pie for in my house forever. Um, and it, it just recently changed to double stuffed Oreos, but, uh, <laughs> and when you say the code word, if you're having kind of a, you know, you're roughhousing, when you say it, that, that everything stops, everything stops. And the code word just means I didn't feel comfortable or it feels like the energy is moving more toward aggression. Um, everything stops and you can kind of, kind of check in and then also resume the play because sometimes things stop when you're at peak intensity 
And that's really when roughhousing works against you. Because if everything's going, if everything's at peak intensity and you're, and, and you stop and then you don't resume, then there's no wind down. Mm -hmm. And when kids are, you know, told to stop with high, high emotions, um, then they don't know what to do with those emotions. And that gets, that gets really, really confusing. Mm -hmm. So being able to, you know, we, we always had a code word in our family too. And it, it, it wasn't that silly. The word was stop. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> but we knew terrible. within our family that exactly. if somebody said the word, you could say no, 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 exactly. or you could say, oh, don't do that. You know, if you were saying in a funny voice, but if you yes. were roughhousing and the, and the code word was stop and you said the word stop, everybody would freeze. And sometimes I know as a kid, because I was the youngest in the family and I would like to jump on my brother who was jumping on my dad, um, that if I, I had sometimes say stop just to see, to test, see if to it make worked. sure everybody actually would stop if I needed it. Because I didn't really need it, but I wanted to test and see if it would test work. Test it. Totally. And it's a, a comfort. And then as soon as they all froze, I'd say, okay, and we'd jump back into it. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of kids need that level of comfort to know, yeah, the people around me I can trust. They're going to play by the rules. We've all agreed on this rule. We've all agreed on you know, banana cream pie or the Oreos. (laughs) Or stop. And when I say that word and make my voice strong, they're going to hear and not just hear, but they're going to be able to stop their bodies instantaneously. And that's great for training impulse control. But it's tricky. It's tricky. And then it is good to be able to get back into it. And as you say, continue the fun and then have a wind down. Exactly right. And the one thing I would say, one one other note on that is that we as adults often don't really, can't really tell whether play is getting aggressive or not. It's very, we're not good at telling it. And we know that from recess literature. So for example, there's play fighting at recess and a teacher stops because the teacher thinks that the play fighting is moving toward aggression. Mm-hmm. The kids go down to the principal office, principal says, well, what was going on there? And the kids have no idea that we don't know what we did wrong. And they are looking like deers in the headlight. Is there, and the person said, well, were you guys, you know, getting upset at each other? Or met? No, we were just having fun. Kids, and that is, that has been tested so yeah. many times. And that yeah. you just, and really it's still fun. And I, I always say, you know, one, the biggest way you can tell things, if the play time is moving away from healthy roughhousing into violence is you'll notice eye contact starts to go awry. awry. The, the, the kids won't, or even sometimes, you know, your child won't be looking at you in the eyes or child and child won't be looking at each other in the eyes. It's not like you're staring at each other, but there's a check-in mm-hmm. with the eyes to make sure, hey, we're still having fun here. Everything's cool. And, and yeah. if you're not sure, a great thing um, that adults can do, instead of just automatically breaking something up because the play is getting physical or you're worried that, oh, you know, this doesn't look like something I'm comfortable with, um, is to ask the kids, hey, are you all, are you all having fun? Yes. And, or if there's two kids, are you both having fun? And if one pipes them up and say, yeah, it's just a game, and the other says, no, he hit me, you know, then you know that one thought it was a game and the other one doesn't anymore. So there's, there's a conflict to be sorted out. But often, if you ask that question, they both say, yeah, we're having this great time. And then yeah. you say, okay. You know? Right. Um, so ask the kids. And as long as you just check in with them, ask them, and let them get back to it, 
they won't mind. They'll actually feel encouraged in your interest in their play rather than that you're an interruption and you're shutting things down. Completely. So, so why is it that this, this activity that is so full of creamy developmental goodness is banned and prohibited so much, not only in family home settings, but in early learning programs? Um, it, I mean, it's just, it's just seen as this negative thing so often by so many, especially in the early learning profession, so many people who should know better and, and yet it right. gets, it gets cut out of the programming. I, you know, I think there's, there's multiple different answers to that, but that is certainly, certainly has been kind of a general feeling across the board for a while. I hope that things like, you know, Heather's work and, you know, I hope the, the needle shifting a little bit, but I think, I think the biggest thing honestly is, is this kind of obsession with safety mm-hmm. uh, in our society. Now that uh, I <laughs> always looking for tomatoes when I start talking about obsession with safety, but no, I mean, what I mean by that is that this just kind of intense helicoptering where we, where we become kind of more afraid of a, um, you know, a skin knee or some bruised feelings than kind of life's real dangers of kind of listless apathy and stifled creativity. I mean, <laughs> I think that, <laughs> I think that's really, t- I mean, I think that that is, and I'm not saying like bike helmets are a bad thing or car seats aren't amazing because they are, I mean, those are all good safety things, but you know, the notion of, you know, not allowing our kids to play outside or go down the street or cross or the street or, or touch each other. Right. Like high five in school. I mean, we can't even do that sometimes in certain, you know, uh-huh. that exactly. So I think it's this kind of obsession with safety. Um, I also think that there is, and this is more of a force against play kind of in general, but also roughhousing play is that there is, I don't want to get too off track, but I think there is also an obsession with academics, Mm -hmm. Um, this kind of hyper academics that we're living in right now where, you know, study your brains out and test your brains out and then get into a good college and get a job and you'll be happy. It's just, of course, so ridiculous, but it's, it's something that I think we're up against too, in terms of learning how to have a playful life and how to make connections with people. Um, That's also, I think, a factor. Yeah, no, that's not off track at all. I think that's a huge part of it because um, if we weren't so worried about rushing the kids to start learning to read at age three and four, we would maybe not worry that they just want to pile on top of each other and get So, you know, that's actually what they're supposed to be doing and they're learning so much goodness from it. So, um, you know, I I love the bold claims you make at the beginning of the book, but it's, it's really true. There's so much goodness in physical play and kids learning friendship skills and conflict skills and emotional skills of all sorts and having fun and joy and and confidence and all sorts of things. Um, And one of my favorite roughhousing stories is not a parent-child one, but it's um, in a school setting, one little girl who just didn't, she would watch other kids roughhouse, but she wouldn't do it herself, you know day after day we could she'd stand there and not actively play herself she'd observe Mm -hmm. and she'd observe and observe with her blankie and her thumb 
and her princess tiara on. And one day she stepped into the ring of the wrestling mat and announced she wanted to try it. And she had so much fun and she went through five partners. <laughs> so I love you know, that. For her, this was not, a, she was from an all-girl household, and it wasn't a typical thing. She, she was fascinated by it, but she'd never had a chance to try. And it took her a while to get up the nerve to take this risk. For her, it was a big social risk and a big physical risk. But once she tried it, um, she gained so much confidence um, and made lots, you know, that was the beginning of her making friends with everybody in the class. So um, this kind of play can be a little alien for some personalities, but it's healthy for them as well as the kids who are natural roughhousers. Heather, was she able to keep her tiara on the whole time too? <laughs> uh, well, she had the, the princess dress on, but I think, yeah, I think the tiara was on. It was pretty well welded. In yeah, there. there you go. Girl power. I love that. My, my tiara always fell off. That was the, that was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your, your um, roughhousing wisdom. I, I don't think we can hear enough about this important topic because it is something um, I, I, I know that I'm, as a woman, there's a lot of women who aren't comfortable with this kind of play. I grew up with it and thrived on roughhousing, and I'm comfortable with this kind of play, but many, many mothers and women who are preschool teachers and probably some of the guys too, but it's more alien for them. And so as females, primarily taking care of the young kids, kids get this kind of play shut down because the adults watching them aren't comfortable with it. Yeah. So it's not all dad play. It's not all male play, but a lot of men are more comfortable with this kind of play and think there's no harm in it, whereas a lot of the women get worried about it being aggressive and violent. So um, give it a try. And if you want to try roughhousing with your kids, one of the things I do is just get down on my knees so that we're not so big and tall as, as we you know, get more at their height and, and see what happens. Another and thing fall you, over. Uh, when in doubt, fall over. Just <laughs> fall over. Another thing you can um, do if you want to give it a try is you can go pick up a copy of The Art of Roughhousing and, uh, and, uh, and page through there, and all, there's all kinds of good ideas and, and tips and resources in the book for you. Yeah. Thanks, you guys, Great. for having me. An honor to be here with you guys. Thank you. You are welcome. And um, how can people find The Art of Roughhousing book and, and you? Yeah, so the Art of Roughhousing is at all your typical bookstores. You may have to order it, though. And Amazon, it's still available. It's, um, it's still being printed. Uh, it was written in 2011. Um, so it's still being it's available on Amazon. And finding me, Twitter's probably the best spot to find me. It's A.T. Benedet is my Twitter handle. And soon, uh, still under construction, right now is my website, anthonydebenedet.com. Hopefully it'll be out in the early next year or so. Excellent. So you can meet up for some virtual roughhousing. There you go. All right. Well, thanks again for being our guest. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great day. This has been Renegade Rules. Back soon with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And... Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.